0: On Friday, Governor Gavin Newsom announced a tentative eviction moratorium deal between lawmakers and advocacy groups for landlords and tenants. The deal comes as the state legislature prepares to wrap up its session today. Landlords are praising the agreement as a sensible approach that isn't a giveaway to renters. But tenant groups have criticized the bill, saying it leaves too many Californians vulnerable to eviction. We'll get the details on Assembly Bill 3080. And joining us now to give us those details is KQED reporter Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez. Hi, Joe. Thanks for talking to us.
2: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: So spell it out for us. Uh, What does this agreement do in broad strokes? I know everyone had to give up something here.
2: Yeah, there there are a few folks who are entirely happy with this, and I gotta say, before I explain it, one of the biggest critiques of it is that it is so complicated that it needs explanation. So as I work out and tell you all the parts of this, it's good to keep in mind that the very idea of how complicated it is is something that um, some critics are saying will turn people off from even using it. So you know, there, the main provisions of, of how renters are protected with this, right? is that if you have missed any rent between the beginning of the pandemic shutdowns in March and August 31st, that um, missed rent will be converted to civil debt. And so you, you you won't have, you won't be able to be evicted by it. And a landlord can seek that debt in small claims court. So you still got to pay it back, but you can't be evicted because of it. But then that's when things get a little murky because, after August 31st, once September 1st hits, between September 1st and January 31st, that you have to pay 25% of your rent. Now, once you pay that 25%, anything after that, the remaining 75% can be converted to civil debt. And all the stuff I just said about the, the previous period applies. Landlords can seek, uh, seek it in, in uh, a small claims court. They can't evict you for not paying it. But you got to pay that 25% and, beto- and by that, the end of that time period. Um, so those are two of the major tenant protections in there. Uh, and then when you file is once a landlord uh, posts a 15-day notice, what used to be a three-day notice, to say, hey, we're going to start this whole court process to evict you, that's when you have to say, under penalty of perjury, I have a COVID or pandemic-related financial hardship. And that's another that's another part that folks were kind of disappointed by. Uh, they didn't want necessarily uh, people to have to say this under penalty of perjury, thinking that might scare off people from using the, the provision. Uh, and then we also lost, uh, uh, at one point in time, the bill had a provision around protecting uh, property owners, uh, 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 folks who own their own homes or also uh, landlords, uh, small-time landlords with four units or less, helping them get a mortgage forbearance. And that forbearance is no longer in the bill. Uh, in what people will be, what lawmakers will be voting on today.
0: So, how many people, in broad strokes, uh, would this help, or could this help if uh, everyone who qualified, like, went through with the process?
2: Well, that's a tricky. That's a tricky question, and I've been asking this question. And what lawmakers have been telling me is, and folks involved with these negotiations are saying is, well, we don't know exactly. We know that millions of people, we know that millions of people are facing financial uncertainty right now. Uh, Millions have filed for uh, uh, unemployment assistance and a number of surveys have hinted at how many people across California, really a truly staggering amount, are worried about their homes. But we don't know with all the concessions how many people this will help? We don't know how many more people would have been helped if the bill was more robust in the way that all the uh, tenants' advocates who wanted it uh, wanted it to be. Um, it, the the number of people who will are the number of people less who may be helped in the compromise bill is something that folks just can't say. We just don't know.
0: And the bill, if I'm not mistaken, right, does make a distinction between people who are eligible for help in regards to their income. Is that right? Tell me a little bit about that.
2: Yeah. So this was a this was also a, a sticking point that had people uh, a bit worried. Uh, but you know, uh, the folks in the in the landlord side of discussions were real worried. They were talking for a long time. You, you, see, you heard in these in in discussions in public meetings. I'm talking about. Tenants with Teslas who had, you know, who were tech workers who had come in with all sorts of money and then stiff landlords on, on much needed rent. That was an argument we heard a lot. Um, so, what there is now is a uh, kind of a if you make uh, over a, 130% of the uh, area median income of your county or over, so if you're making a, a little bit of money, a landlord can, when you say, Oh, I have a COVID. Uh, uh, a a covid uh, impact to my finances a landlord can say well hey turn up turn up a document to prove it please and then you have to furnish some proof whether it's a layoff notice or uh, uh you know a, a notice of reduction in wages uh, and you have to provide that proof if it if you're a, at 130 percent ami or over
0: We'd like to invite our listeners to call in and give us your experiences. What are you hoping to get out of this bill? Are you hoping for some financial uh, relief? Uh, How has coronavirus and the financial crisis affected your housing situation? you can give us a call at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or email your questions to forum at org, or post them at org slash forum. So, Joe, as we're talking about this, I think it's important to keep in mind that the vote for this bill hasn't happened yet. It's going to happen later this afternoon because of the 72-hour rule in uh, the legislature, meaning bills have to be in print for 72 hours before the legislature can take action on them. And this bill needs a two-thirds majority because it's an urgency measure, so meaning it would take effect right away. So tell me, what are you expecting? Is that is that vote going to be easy? Is it going to be hard to come by all the votes they need?
2: Yeah, I'm told there are a few holdouts. There are a few. uh, And these are Democrats, mind you, um, that there are a few holdouts who are waiting for, you know, more uh, to to confer more with allies in the realtor industry, uh, more uh, uh, more time to kind of assess things. Yeah, this like you said, this is a really high burden and this isn't going to be easy.
0: Right. And I think, though, they have to you have to give credence to the fact that because Governor Newsom has signed on, that does give some lawmakers, you know, some cover to vote for things that being assured that, you know, they're not going to go to bat for this bill only to have it be rejected by the governor. So that I think will give some people protection.
2: well, Well, right. And you can already see this in the way that they're framing it, the way that they're discussing it. I mean, right out of the gate when they started getting all sorts of heat from different attendance groups. Uh, lots of folks have been saying, "Well, hey, this is just something that's going to get us over the hump until next session, next year, when the lawmakers, you know, come back into the Capitol and we and they're talking again about new provisions." This uh, law, if it's approved, is set to you know sunset on February first. So you know that's you know, they're they're hoping to uh, jumpstart a new discussion before then and. You know, Assemblymember David Chu, who is, uh, you know, who is one of the key negotiators and key authors in this, uh, has even said, you know, if you if you're not happy with this bill, if you come out, come out between now and February 1st, because this is when this is how we're going to be able to really build momentum to get a a stronger bill, he says. This is if if you act, if folks make their voices heard between now and February 1st. And that goes for the other side, too. If there are landlords who are feeling that they're not represented, that this bill is hurting them. It's between now and February 1st is the time to make your voice heard.
0: Right. And I think that's something to keep in mind uh, that you just brought up, that there is an aspect that landlords are concerned as well, because, of course, many of them use the uh, rent that they receive from their tenants to pay the mortgage on their uh, properties. So is there any protection for landlords in there who might be afraid that they won't be able to pay those mortgages? Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, you know this is this is this is the interesting part of this. It's almost like you know in the ocean when the bigger fish you know eat the smaller fish, and a yet bigger fish eats <laughs> that yet bigger fish. Um, the the you know the the landlord lobby uh, landlord lobby really pushed back on some of the tighter uh, uh, elements of this bill that would have helped tenants, but the banking industry pushed back on a lot of the elements that would have helped property owners and landlords. So the the um, uh, banking industry really didn't want to see a mortgage forbearance. They were really arguing hard that this would hit their bottom line uh, in a big way and, and have a cascading economic effect. And uh, only you know, In negotiations, that was the forbearance is one element that was lost. Uh, There is an expansion of a homeowner bill of rights to cover new classes of of property owners. But I'm not hearing a lot of people crowing about how great that is. This is not necessarily an element of the bill that people are excited about. It it doesn't sound like it's uh, it's going to do a lot.
0: We're talking about evictions with Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez. He's a reporter and producer for KQED News. What questions do you have about the eviction crisis in California and how the legislature is addressing it? You can give us a call at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Phil in San Pablo, uh, tell us what you think. Hi
3: there. Well, I'm... You know, I'm just sort of blown away at how this can go on as long as it's gone on. Because my problem is during the pandemic, my landlord has raised my rent by $400. That's just, you know, within the past, within the past couple of months. And uh, I've been waiting for my unemployment since March. And I live in a single family home, so I'm not exempt from rent increases. So I'm having this. Moratorium on evictions is really important to me. And this uh, but but I'm I'm frustrated because I've gone through my state senator, excuse me, my assemblyman, and I'm getting no relief. They just keep saying, you know, hang in there and wait and we'll get back to you. I haven't heard from anybody.
0: Well, joining us now is Christina Livingston. She's the statewide executive director for the Alliance of Californians for Community Empowerment. Christina, um, talk to us a little bit about that. You have been your group has been representing tenants. And what are some of the concerns that you're hearing?
4: First, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, we organize, you know, low income community members and black and Latinx community members across the state. And, you know, at a basic level, folks who right now do not receive income because they lost their job or um, because they weren't eligible for unemployment, they are really right now struggling just to figure out how to feed themselves, much less pay the rent. And there is a pandemic, obviously, raging outside of everyone's doors. And so the notion that anyone could be evicted at this moment Um, does mean that many people will fall into the streets and will become more susceptible to COVID. People are really scared for their lives in this moment.
0: Your group has said that the governor turned his back on renters with this bill. Why do you think that? And if you think that, why did uh, you guys eventually sign on to a compromise? Well, I want to say we did not sign on to a compromise. We um, took
4: no part in those negotiations and we oppose that compromise. Mm. Um, We do believe that he's turned his back on renters. The only reason that renters were not allowed to be evicted was because the courts stepped up and said that they will not be filing evictions. They will not allow them to go through. The governor from the beginning passed the responsibility on the city, some of which would do something and some of which would not, leaving millions of tenants vulnerable. And with this bill, he's only saying that for some period of time, some people cannot be evicted for non-payment of rent. But that leaves every other kind of eviction on the table. And there are several unscrupulous landlords who have been harassing tenants during this pandemic who would happily find some other way, some other reason to move forward with an eviction and push people into the streets. And so for us, the bottom line is, while we are being told to shelter, he should require every person to have the opportunity to stay in their homes by canceling evictions right now.
0: And are you concerned about the requirement in this legislation that would require renters to stay under penalty of perjury that they've been affected by COVID? We've heard some people say, you know, for instance, those in the undocumented community might not be willing to take that step.
4: Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, every... Piece of every requirement that gets put into place that makes it harder for some segment of people actually micro-targets those who are most vulnerable in our communities. Uh, the undocumented, you know, folks who work um, in labor that's under the table for various reasons. Um, you know, people who receive income in that way might be, you know, folks who have some difficulties with the law. Anybody who would see under penalty of perjury and think this could turn out bad for me in the future, and therefore would sort of self-selected eviction, um, that's a micro-target. And it's actually sort of throwing away um,
0: the most vulnerable people in our community. Let's go to Steve in Santa Rosa. Steve, you're on Forum.
3: Oh, thank you for taking my call. Uh, I, get, I might have missed this because, uh, you know, I had to turn the radio off. But the question is, what happens after sem- September 1st if you are caught up in your rent, and then, as the economy worsens, which it most certainly will, um, you know, you can't pay, you know, maybe in October or even in September. Uh, what happens then? It, you know, is this, uh, does this bill, you know, sort of still, you know, include uh, a, um, a moratorium uh, for people that are caught up on their rent currently, and then, then they start to fall behind? And then are they going to get thro- threatened? I mean, to me, this seems insane because... If you're going to kick people out in the middle of an epidemic, all that's going to happen is that it's going to increase the contagion, and that's my comment. I'll take my answer uh, off the uh, you know off the phone here, okay?
0: Sure, uh, Christina Livingston, do you want to uh, reply to that? Sure, I just
4: want to say there's there's no moratorium, no matter what. Um, you do have to, if you start to fall behind, everyone is required to pay at least 25% of their rent during that time period between September 1st and um, January 31st by the end of it. Um, and if not, you will receive uh, at least a 15-day pay or quit, um, which you can answer to. So unfortunately, there's no moratorium. And the real kicker for me was that this bill actually exempts any city or county from passing anything stronger about nonpayment of rent. And if you currently live in a city that has a moratorium and it expires, they cannot renew um, that moratorium until February 1st.
0: And, Christina, this legislation uh, doesn't do much for homeowners. Um, It mostly focuses on renters. What are your feelings about that?
4: You know, it is the case, it is our belief that everybody right now needs to figure out how we can get through this and, and get through it alive and healthy. So we really believe that we need uh, protections for tenants and protections for homeowners and small landlords who really need it. There are lots of, you know, big corporations and billionaires who are doing fantastically right now. They are making lots of money right now. And we believe that the reality is the governor should be figuring out how to tax billionaires and people who are doing really well in order to help bail out landlords in need and to cancel rent for tenants.
0: Well, Christina Livingston, statewide executive director for the Alliance of Californians for Community Empowerment, thank you so much uh, for speaking to us. We really appreciate it. We're thank talking about ev- we're talking about evictions uh, and the state's new proposed legislation on a COVID nineteen eviction moratorium deal. We're speaking with uh, Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez, a reporter and producer for KQED News. Please stick with us. We'll be back right after a short break. Welcome back to Forum. We're talking with KQED reporter Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez about a last minute deal in the California legislature to avert an eviction crisis. And we want to hear from you. How has coronavirus and the financial crisis affected your housing situation Give us a call at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. We're also joined now by Joshua Howard. He's executive vice president of the and local of of local government affairs for the California Apartment Association, a trade group representing rental owners. Joshua, thank you for speaking with us.
5: Good morning. Thank you for having me.
0: So tell me, uh, what do you think that uh, the Apartment Association and the owners, the uh, landlords you represent, uh, take away from this deal?
5: Well, I think it's important to recognize that everyone has been impacted by COVID 19. And early on, the rental housing industry was called upon by CAA to really hold rent increases, to not move forward with evictions unless there was a true safety concern to the community. And as the pandemic waged on, what we saw was that there were several residents, several hundred residents, thousands of residents who were unable to pay their rent because they lost income. They had to stay home to care for a sick loved one or care for their children who were being homeschooled. We urged our members to act with compassion to work with those individuals. And now that the economy is slowly beginning to reopen, um, rent is becoming due. And what's important also to note is that the courts are going to be reopening in the next day or so. When the courts open right now, there are no parameters for how we move forward to protect those renters who are financially impacted. By COVID-19 or to protect rental housing providers from reco- to recover the income they've lost or to evict problem tenants. So, what AB 3088 does is it gives guidance to the courts, it gives guidance to renters, and it gives guidance to rental housing providers as we move forward.
0: Uh, we have a comment near uh, comment here Travis, who is a, a small landlord writes I'm retired and own a single family home that I rent out to supplement Social Security. My tenant stopped paying rent several months ago without reason. My mortgage company only allows me to only skip a total of two mortgage payments from a small landlord's perspective. The current arrangement is extremely challenging financially. And Joshua, is that something you're hearing from a lot of uh, landlords?
5: Well, I think it's important to recognize what AB 3088 does. AB 3088 requires those residents who have not paid rent from March through August to certify that they were financially impacted by COVID-19. If they were financially impacted by COVID-19 and can certify it, then they'd be protected from eviction. If they cannot certify it and they've been taking advantage of this situation, unfortunately, then it creates a process for the owner to recover the unit or recover the income that they've lost. So under 3088, Travis would be able to ask the tenant to certify that they have been affected by COVID-19 and then be able to either recover the income, recover the unit, or work out a payment arrangement with the resident.
0: We have another uh, question. Betty writes, can anything be done to mandate that banks be required to wait for mortgage payments from landlords? That way renters can stay in their home and landlords are covered. Joshua, was there any kind of a, a discussion about trying to set up a, an arrangement like that? Well, I think
5: it's important to note that the banks are regulated by the federal government. And that's why it's important for Congress to really step up and take ownership of this situation by looking at financial arrangements with the banks, but also what's really important here is that we need federal and state dollars to help renters come current on their back rent, but also to help rental housing providers stay current on their own financial obligations, their mortgage, their property taxes, their maintenance, and their own payroll. So what we need to start focusing on is how we can get dollars available either through rent vouchers or through mortgage relief to the owners so that they can continue to stay current on those obligations. And that's what's important to focus on is the need for those rent relief and mortgage relief dollars so that payments can stay current, payroll can be made, maintenance can be taken care of.
0: And. Several lawmakers have already said that this is just a first step, this piece of legislation, should it pass, and that they're looking to do something uh, similar, perhaps on a broader scope next year when they're not facing such a tight deadline like they were this year. Are you anticipating that? Uh, What do you hope comes from that discussion?
5: I think it's been well documented that this law, if it passes tonight and is signed by the governor, is intended to address the issue of the court's reopening this week, um, while allowing everyone time to really focus on a comprehensive, more robust solution that can look at providing rent relief, look at providing forbearance, look at providing additional protections to both owners and their residents. And the association is committed to working with the legislature and the various stakeholders on finding a true, a comprehensive, long-term solution.
0: Um, I do wonder this bill would make it possible for landlords to pursue missed rent uh, in a civil court, like for instance, going to small claims court to get some of that past rent. How likely do you think that is? I mean, would landlords want to take the trouble to pursue that money? And would the tenants who were not able to make the payments in the first place even be able to give that money back to the landlords?
5: Well, I think it's important to recognize that AB 3088 will provide eviction protection for those renters who were financially affected by COVID to not live under the, the fear of eviction if they can't pay their back rent. Uh, For the owner to pursue it, yes, they will have to potentially go to small claims court or work out a payment arrangement with the resident, but that's a business decision that each owner will have to make for their own circumstances. However, going, what this does do is it does protect those residents who, as I said, were financially affected by COVID, that they can continue to live in their homes, they can continue not to have to worry about paying the back rent immediately, and work either with the landlord or, if they do go to small claims court, work on an arrangement, hopefully there, where they can come current over time.
0: Let's go to Lupe in San Jose. Lupe, Lupe, you're on Forum. Hi, good morning, I love your show, you guys are great. I just wanna say that as a small
4: business woman, Latina, minority, uh, retired, you know, I work with my tenants all the time, even before coronavirus, it was a matter of a relationship. And we don't need the government to come and tell us what to do because as human beings, we need to relate to each other and communicate with each other and work together. I've not evicted anyone, from that lack of payment. I work with them, and if they can't pay, then I say, you know, you can't pay. Let's just keep working together. And that's the thing. People just aren't human anymore. It's like, why does the government have to overreach and tell us what to do as small business people? Why can't we just all be human and understanding and
0: know "We're we're in a pandemic. Let's work together. Thanks, Lupe. And let's go to Kevin in Martinez.
3: Hi, good morning. I have a, a question about uh, banks. You know, we gave them a big uh, bailout back in 2008, um, and gave them free. And right now, giving them uh, free money with no interest rate, no mortgage on the money that they lend to us. Now, uh, we want to uh, 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 protect the, the renters and, and keep them from getting evicted. But what's to protect the property owner that pays five to ten thousand dollars a year in taxes? And another $2,000 a month in mortgage. So uh, if you, if you uh, uh, protect the renters from paying the rent, then there's no way to pay the taxes, no way to pay the mortgage. Essentially, the, the, the homeowner gets evicted while the, while the banks reap a profit on 0% interest.
0: Well, uh, Joshua, it seems to be a common theme that we're hearing here is that this is this is a cycle, right? Everyone is affected. It's not just um, potential tenants being evicted. It's It's landlords not being able to potentially pay their rent, which brings it back again to what you were saying about the need for federal help.
5: You know, I think Kevin really uh, hit the nail on the head, and that is, we need additional protections and financial protections, as I mentioned earlier. Um, without income to the property owner, then they can't pay their mortgage, they can't pay their taxes, they can't invest in the maintenance and upkeep of the building. And what happens with that, ultimately, is they fall behind and lose their, their own investment, their retirement savings, to foreclosure. When that happens, the owner loses the asset, but also the renters often lose their homes when the banks repossess the building. So it's really important to focus on the next step here, which is getting desperately needed funding in this space, funding, as I mentioned, for renters, funding to rental housing providers to make them whole so they can make those financial obligations and don't run the risk that Kevin talked about, which is a very real concern of many small rental housing providers. Let's face it, over 90% of California's rental housing stock is owned by independent rental housing owners. These are people who have full-time jobs elsewhere, and they've invested what little extra money they had into rental housing to service their 401k, to service their kids' college savings account. And in this situation, they're falling behind, and it's going to jeopardize their ability to retire or send their kids to school or even provide their own livelihood. So we really need to look at finding additional funding so that we don't see this ripple effect that Kevin talked about.
0: Joshua Howard, Executive Vice President for Local Government Affairs for the California Apartment Association. Thanks so much for joining us on Forum.
5: Thank you. Have a great afternoon or a great morning.
0: So, uh, Joe uh, Fitzgerald Rodriguez, I want to get back to you. Um, what is your takeaway from these conversations? Again, hearing from landlords saying that I need this rent to help me pay my mortgage, but, you know, renters saying, you know, if I if I have to pay this money, I'm going to be uh, evicted and out on the street. It seems, again, once again, that it's, it's all connected.
2: Yeah, I think it's um... – <clears throat> It's really easy to get lost in the weeds of all the elements of these deals. But what I think is at the end of the day, some of the starkest numbers I've heard uh, is estimates of homelessness. Um, You know, in in Santa Clara County, for instance, uh, there was a report that showed that, you know, homelessness might increase by more than 200 percent if uh, eviction moratorium deals aren't reached. And if you can think of how that expands throughout the state, and how many more people might be on the streets throughout the state with just using that lens. Uh, it's pretty scary. It's, it's really scary.
0: Right. And especially when you're talking about where would those people go, as we've mentioned earlier, going into, for, for instance, a, a homeless shelter or living with family in, in, in uh, situations where we know that COVID and coronavirus is more likely to spread because of the close uh, gathering of people
2: right absolutely and you know it's it's one thing that we haven't we've only touched on lightly but i i really think we need to kind of emphasize is that this doesn't hit every, everyone equally um you know uh, a pulse survey from the census bureau you know was asking about housing stability and uh uh in july 43% of Latino renters and 41% of black renters in California said they had no or slight confidence they could pay their rent next uh, in, in next month, and that's this month, August. And when it comes to uh, white renters, 25% uh, of white renters are the same and 33% of Asian renters. So there's definitely a disproportionate impact on black and Latinx uh, renters in California.
0: Which is uh, also similar to what we're seeing uh, with the coronavirus and different uh, populations being hit disproportionately hard uh, with with the uh, COVID nineteen outbreak. I do have a question for you, Joe. Do you know how commercial rent uh, would be affected? Is this just related to residential rentals?
2: Yeah, I, I or their commercials. As I understand it. This is just residential rent. Yes.
0: Okay, um, and. Uh, let's see how are any evictions legal when landlords are essentially putting the burden for property owners over extension of credit and debt onto the tenant that's a, a listener comment uh, basically making the point that they it sounds like they are saying you should not uh, own a <laughs> rental property if you're not prepared to pay <laughs> pay for it without the rent um, sure
2: well, well well what I think it is important to note um, in terms of what evictions we're talking about we're talking about evictions for non-payment of rent specifically and that also extends to the moratoriums that are affected you know the, we didn't talk too much about this earlier but what i think is really key to understand is that the uh, local eviction moratorium uh, moratoriums uh, uh, can't go forward in regards only to non-payment of rent so you know for instance um if a if a county has one that is rolling a lot of counties have been doing this on a rolling basis june ends and they're like okay we're going to extend it through july july ends okay we're going to extend it through august but now you can't extend it anymore. So only the counties who have uh, eviction protections that extend throughout the state of emergency, um, Solano County passed such a, such a a provision and so did uh, uh, Sonoma County, Um, but not every County has only those counties will see their own specific local eviction protections extend uh, under this bill. Everyone else, that's it.
0: Right. And you know, are we seeing concern? We heard we've heard about this a, a little bit. Um, what what is the concern that, yes, you you can get relief for a covid related eviction, but you can't necessarily you can still be evicted for other things. Oh, and is there yeah, a that's right. A- yeah, that's a what really is the good point, and
2: and and that's and that's a really sticky point that you only that you only really know if you you watch evictions a lot and you do a lot of uh, you spent a lot of time working with people uh, who who go through these evictions, and the big concern from I, I would say tenants' advocates and from a tenants' perspective is that um, you know, when you are protected from non-payment of rent, sometimes a landlord will try to find other things that you know you might you might be doing. Uh, I, I'm thinking of San Francisco's Chinatown, for instance, when one corporate landlord targeted uh, an entire building of Chinese tenants because they were hanging laundry outside their windows. And they're like, oh, you broke your lease. I'm gonna evict you. And you know that's something they've been doing in Chinatown for 100 years and definitely did not break the lease. And at that time, uh, then Mayor Ed Lee had to like personally intervene to stop the evictions and, and uh, push back. Uh, it's that kind of thing—the kind of thing where a landlord may try to find a different reason to evict you for the reason of your non-payment, but they may try some other method to uh, to see you out of the unit. That's that's the concern.
0: Uh, let's quickly go to John in San Francisco. John, you're on forum.
2: Oh, hi.
3: Yeah, I just wanted to make the point that um, if tenants are going to have to have the burden of proving they can't pay rent, I think it's only fair that landlords should also have the burden of proving that they can't afford not to have the rent because there are plenty of small building owners in san francisco that are pretty flush because of the past years of um, increased rents and are not having any trouble making their mortgages or have owned the building for a long time so i just think the burden should go both ways
0: Thanks so much, John. And we've been talking with KQED reporter Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez. Earlier, we spoke with Joshua Howard, executive vice president of local government affairs for the California Apartment Association, a trade group representing rental owners. And we also spoke with Christina Livingston, statewide executive director of the Alliance of Californians for Community Empowerment. Forum is produced by Judy Campbell, Tina Launberg, Ariana Crayley and Blanca Torres, our senior editor is Dan Zole, our engineer is Danny Bringer, and our intern is Jamison Weiss, our executive editor is Ethan Tovin Lindsay, and our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. Thanks so much. I'm Katie Orr. In for Michael Krasny. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation.
3: Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sarriaho's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward.